uh, fairly well-known section on spiritual warfare. Um, and we're slowing down for a couple of reasons. One is this is a kind of concluding or summarizing paragraph for this entire letter. It's a way to live in the truths that we've been learning, the truths of the wonderful blessings of what we have in the Gospel, in the good news of Christ, and the wonderful lifestyle that is produced as a result. So both the blessings and the implications of the lifestyle is really what this letter is about. And this chapter 6, verses 10-20, through 20, is really a, a way to apply those things and walking out those truths in light of the cosmic spiritual battle that we're in. So we've been learning about it, and, and we're slowing down to kind of dig into each of these different aspects of, of what is called the spiritual armor, and learning how to apply really the entire letter of Ephesians. So that, that's why we're slowing down. We're also slowing down because this is just reality for us. Uh, we might think that spiritual battle is something for you know other times and other places, but we uh, are learning, and we've probably all experienced that, no, this is a real situation for the believer. And learning how to walk in these biblical truths is so important. And God really wants to work in our lives an understanding of these truths and, and the ability to experience victory. And that's been uh, our prayer. Um, so we're going to pray for our, our time looking at Ephesians and the time preaching and teaching the Word as well. Uh, just to introduce myself, if you don't know me, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here. And I get to, most Sundays, bring God's Word. It's a humbling assignment, um, but I know God loves to speak to us, and so that's our confidence that we come before Him to ask Him to do that. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that You're the living God and that Your Word is living and active. And, and Lord, You love to speak to us. And there's not a single soul in this place uh, whom You don't know and to whom You don't wish to speak. Lord, You are delighted to speak to each and every one. And so we ask You, Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, take the Word and bring it to our minds and our hearts individually and as a church as well that we might walk in Your truth. Lord, help me to, to explain and to teach and proclaim and to exhort and encourage from Your Word as well. I want to serve You, Lord. I want to serve these people whom You love so much. So help us now, we pray, and we thank You in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in verses 10-20. through 20. I'll be keen in on verse 15 within the message, but let me read this whole section for us uh, so we're refreshed and reminded of its truth. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the Gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. God's Word from Ephesians 6, 10-20. Back in 1941, the U.S. was hoping to stay out of a world war that was ravaging Europe and much of Asia. We were coming out of the Great Depression, and we were strongly committed to an isolationist foreign policy. We wanted to stay out of these wars. And so our military readiness was at a low point. But December 7th, 1941, changed all that. Pearl Harbor brought us into the war, and we were really caught in that attack, ill-prepared, ill-prepared for the war, and they almost got the whole naval fleet, or a large part of our naval fleet. But we responded as a country. In the time from before the war to the end, the, the U.S. Navy went from 380 ships total to 6,768 ships. The amount of aircraft carriers went from five to a total of 100 the U.S. Army went from uh, under 200,000 men to over 8 million with uh, total U.S. forces at 12 million people. Over the course of the war, they produced 88,000, over 88,000 tanks, 300,000 planes, 2.8 million machine guns, 100,000 mortars, 34 million tons of merchant marine transport, and a total cost uh, in today's dollars of $3.6 trillion. We went from being ill-prepared and unready to defend ourselves to possessing the strongest military force and strongest economy in history. We were fully ready to fight and stand for our freedom and values by the end of that war. Our text today teaches us that the church and the Christian soldier is made fully ready to stand and fight in a cosmic conflict. Through the readiness that comes from the Gospel of peace. Verse, six, verse 15 of chapter 6 speaks of this readiness that comes from the Gospel of peace. We don't have to wait four years to build up our forces. We are ready the instant that we put our faith in Christ and receive the good news. We are ready in the readiness of the Gospel to stand and to overcome. So I want to take time this morning just to dig into this truth and this, this aspect of the armor of the, these shoes that are fitted with the readiness of the Gospel of peace to learn how we are ready both to stand and to advance. Those are the two points if you're following along on the notes. To readiness, being ready to stand and ready to advance. We've come to the part of the armor here in this chapter that is in many ways one of the most essential pieces of a soldier's armor. Shoes. Shoes are one of the most essential pieces for a soldier's armor and equipment. And without proper shoes, a soldier can't expect to hold ground and certainly can't expect to march and take ground. That's why the U.S. military actually at this point in time has ten different combat boots that they have soldiers use for all the different situations that they might have the right footwear to stand their ground and to take ground. Many, many a 
soldier has been hampered and even taken out of a battle by bad shoes. Actually, there was a point in time in our history where some of our soldiers didn't even have shoes. Back in the Revolutionary War, some of them didn't even have shoes and they had to wrap blankets around their feet just to keep from getting frostbite. We've come a long way since then and we recognize the importance of good shoes for battle. Paul's using uh, for this metaphor of, of these shoes, uh, the, probably the picture of the Roman soldier who really had probably the most advanced footwear for the Mediterranean climate of the day. They wore a basically ankle-high sandal. It was a multi-leaf uh, sandal that came together. They could put socks on and so forth to keep warm. And, and on the bottom of that sandal, there were these uh, tacks or hobs uh, that allowed them to get traction that kept it from wearing out and could be used as a weapon as well. So they had the best footwear of the day. It was an, an important part of their whole outfit, of all their armor. It was made of the best materials that they had in the day. As you read through with me in Ephesians chapter 6, did you notice what the shoes that we're supposed to wear are made of? It says in the... English Standard Version, it says, uh, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the Gospel of peace. So what is the material that comprises our shoes? It's, it's actually not the Gospel of peace, is it? And there are some translations that would say it that way. But it's actually more correctly phrased, it's the readiness that comes from the Gospel of peace. That the good news of Christ is good news of the peace we have in Christ, of Christ's death and resurrection, of our reconciliation with God and our reconciliation with others, is good news of peace, true peace, makes us ready. It makes us prepared. And so we are to put on these shoes that are comprised of readiness that flows from the Gospel of peace. I want to take time to kind of get into that idea, really what does it mean to be ready? What does readiness mean? What do you mean? The readiness of the Gospel of peace. I mean, I get the Gospel of peace, but how is it making us ready? We're ready for what? Well, let's dig into some other Scriptures that I think will help clarify how it functions and how this readiness to stand and this readiness to advance works. First, Isaiah 52. This is probably a passage that Paul had in mind as he thought about this part of the armor. Just always good to realize that when the New Testament is written, it's written in fulfillment of the Old, and all, all the people who wrote the New Testament would have been saturated in the Old Testament. So Isaiah is an important book in a lot of the New Testament writings, and certainly for Paul. So Isaiah 52.7 says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's in Isaiah 52. That was said uh, 700 years before Paul wrote Ephesians. And 700 years or so before it was fulfilled. Because if you read Isaiah 52, you read through it, you'll see that it flows into Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the fairly well-known passage that speaks of how God would rescue His people through the sacrificial death of His servant, of the Messiah. Through the death and resurrection, actually, of the Messiah, that is Christ. Given 700 years before Christ actually did that, by the way. But the context to 52 and earlier and 53 is the people of God at the time 
700 years or so before, uh, living in a, in a time, a period in the, the history of the people of God where they had strayed from the Lord. They had strayed away from faith in the Lord. They had strayed away from putting their trust in Him. and They had put their trust elsewhere and they had walked away from not only faith, but as always happens when you stray from faith, your behavior strays. They had walked away from the commandments of God and had strayed into some all sorts of terrible things. And, and they were experiencing military defeats. At least being threatened. Um, and they were experiencing moral failure. And, and God, through Isaiah, gave this word to them. This picture to them. The passage itself, Isaiah 52, uh, celebrates the arrival of a herald who approaches an embattled city. That's the picture here of the one who's coming, who's bringing good news, saying, your God reigns. The idea was of a herald coming to a city that was embattled. A city that was besieged, perhaps, even. That was under threat. And back in those days, when battle went on, you would go inside your city and you would shut your gates and you'd just try to wait out the, the siege. But in your mind, you're thinking, you know, what happens if we don't survive this thing? It's starvation. We starve to death inside our own city. Or they come in and they kill us all with the sword. That's, that's the context for battle back then in a city. And so that's the context of this promise, this passage. So if you were in one of those cities and you had a herald arrive coming with good news that the king was victorious over the enemy, it was good news, right? And so how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news? You bet, you bet those feet are beautiful because you're in that city. You're, you're embattled and your life is threatened. And, and to have a herald, a, a, an envoy of the king come and say, we won! The enemy's vanquished. That's good news. And that's the picture here. It's the, the picture here that there's good news that arrives to this embattled city, to these embattled people, saying that their God reigns, their God has accomplished victory. This herald's coming, he publishes peace, he's announcing peace, he's announcing the, the end of the, the war and the hostilities and the danger. He's bringing good news of hap happiness. He's publishing God's salvation, His rescue of these embattled people in their city. Well, this is what had happened to the Ephesians spiritually. They had lived as a people in darkness. They were lost in darkness. They were lost in their sin and in their ways. They were separated from God. Whether they knew it or not, they, they were embattled. And their lives, their spiritual lives, and really their whole lives were threatened as a result. There were spiritual forces all around them. They were tempted and controlled by sinful impulses. They were influenced by the power of the world. They were in a state of being imprisoned. And a herald came to their city. Actually, multiple heralds came to their city and announced good news. Good news of the victory of God in Christ. Good news that would release them from the darkness, the spiritual darkness, the, the sin that, that would threaten to define their lives and devour their lives. That would re rescue from their personal sin. That would rescue them from the ways of the world that would come in and, and control them and, and lead them away from the way of God. There had been good news preached to them. 
Someone had come with beautiful feet and proclaimed to them. It says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And jumping to verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. It's interesting to notice who is doing the preaching of peace in Ephesians 2? Christ Himself. We know Paul was the one that brought it and others were the ones that brought the Gospel, but it was Christ Himself, ultimately the herald of the victory and the accomplisher of the victory of God. The One who came in His life and gave His life on the cross, who, who lived a righteous life, who sacrificed that righteous life, died for sins on the cross, rose again victorious over sin and death. He was the one who accomplished God's victory. That's, that's what the Gospel about, is about ultimately. God's victory. God's victory over sin. God's victory over death. And what it means for us as we put our faith in Him is our victory in Him over sin and death and darkness. So that we no longer need to live in an embattled, besieged city. Subject to sin. Subject to spiritual darkness. Subject to the corruptions of the world. But free in Him. That good news that's preached means peace to us and it changes everything for us. We're transformed. We're transformed in believing. We talked about this last week. We're transformed in believing. We're counted righteous. Now the righteousness of Christ is credited to us. And our sins are credited to Him. He bears our sins. He sheds the blood of God the Son Himself for our sins. And if He sheds His blood for our sins, our sins are forgiven. Completely. Past, present, and future. All forgiven. Counted righteous in Him. Credited as if we had lived the righteous life He lived. We are righteous in Him. Forgiven. We're made new creations. We're accepted by God. We're called sons and daughters. We know peace with God. And we've learned in Ephesians, it's not just peace with God. There's not just the horizontal peace, but there's peace, there's peace, not just the vertical peace, but the horizontal peace as well. We have peace with one another. Peace with people who would have formerly been our enemies. Now, because we are brought near to God, we are brought near to one another. And there's peace. That's this good news. That's this proclamation. That's, that's what's going on in Isaiah. This good news is coming forth. That's what had gone on for the Ephesians. The news was pronounced. They believed it. They received it. That's what's going on in our lives too. Somebody at some point in time had beautiful feet and brought to us the good news. The proclamation that our God reigns. And we believed and we received. And that's how we're given readiness. The readiness comes through the Gospel of peace. 
Because in the Gospel of peace, we are reconciled with God. We're transformed. We're made into new creations. We have the Holy Spirit now living in us. The law of God, the, all the good things of, of God that He commands, summed up really in loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving each other as ourselves, are now written on our hearts. Isn't that amazing? We're changed. And though we may struggle, those sins still remains, though we're not perfect and won't be until we get to go be with the Lord, there is a, an overcoming power that's greater than the sin that's in us called the Spirit of God in us, this new life in us that propels us forward to, to long for the things of God, to love to obey Him, to grow more and more and more like Him. That's how we're made ready. All those ways we're made ready. We're made ready to stand. We have the Gospel. That Gospel of peace has come to us. And we are made ready. We have good footwear now. We can stand and not slip. You don't have to slip anymore. You can stand strong in the Gospel of peace. And I think the metaphor of shoes is fantastic. It's a great way to think of this. I think we can relate to that, right? We can relate to what good shoes mean. Maybe you've served in the military. You would really know if you did how how important good dry shoes are. Um, But but even if you haven't, you know we understand shoes, right? And what it feels like when you have a bad pair of shoes if you go for a long hike, um, or you're doing athletics, or if you happen if you're a woman, um, you are probably more tempted by bad shoes than men because for some reason we have this this crazy thing in our culture to give like the mostly weirdest contorted shoes to women and say, wear these. Um, we're going to put like three-inch thing, things on you and you're going to be walking on your tiptoes and wear those around. You know what it is to not have good shoes, right? Uh, I don't. I've never worn high heels, in case you were wondering. But, um, so I'm thankful for that. Hopefully that's never, never going to be a men's style. I hope so. Um, but you understand, right, when you get good shoes and, and what it's like. And how good it feels in your feet when you've got you know, an arch, a good arch in there and a comfortable fit and, and, and the difference. you know, uh, Good shoes. I, I can think about like when I've got really good sneakers. I feel like you know, I put those sneakers on, I feel like I'm fast all of a sudden. You know? I'm Superman. I can, jump, I can jump four feet now with these sneakers. It's never really true, but I feel like that. We get that, right? We get the idea that good shoes make such a huge difference. They make us ready to do things. They make us ready to stand. Ready to go. The Gospel of peace creates this readiness for us. That's, that's fundamental to who we are. It's part of who we are. These shoes are part of what, who we are. We're to put them on. We're to live in the Gospel of peace. We can actually, as Christians, choose to ignore the Gospel of peace. We can choose to somehow try to get by and go throughout our day without the Gospel of peace being the, our, the core truth, the core reality that we build our lives around. And that's like trying to walk around with bad shoes or no shoes. You're going to slip. You're not going to stand. And you're certainly not going to stand against the devil's schemes. Having good shoes gives you what you need to stand even in the darkest times. Guys, we live in some dark times. And it might just get darker and darker. This past week was an example of that, wasn't it? The things that went on. I think all of us were outraged, and shocked, and grieved. The two 
police shootings of African-American civilians, and then the, the blind, hateful retaliation in Dallas left us all reeling. Guys, these are schemes of the devil. But God's people have something that allows us to stand. That allows us to stand in a real way and face these sort of things and deal with them in a way that works. I'm not talking simplistic answers, but I am talking a simple answer. The Gospel of Peace. In this Gospel of Peace, we have all we need as God's people to stand, to stand together. We have forgiveness in the Gospel of Peace, right? We have forgiveness. We've been forgiven of all of our sins. We've been forgiven of all of our sins. And therefore, we can extend forgiveness to others. We don't have to be wrapped up in, in the wrongdoing and the injustices of others. Now, it doesn't mean that we ignore it and pretend it never happened. There's things that we can do as well. But we can forgive. We can forgive those who do injustices. We can forgive those who are full of hate. We can forgive. We've experienced in the Gospel too ultimate justice and peace mixed together. Ultimate justice was done in the Gospel. Our sins were paid for. Things were dealt with. God set things right in the Gospel. And He wants to use us as people who set things right as best we can in our relationships and in the societies and cities that we live. So we can turn around having experienced justice, having experienced peace in the Lord, to now extend peace and work for justice around us. It gives us what we need to stand and have answers in times like this. It allows us to reach out to one another. To mourn with those who mourn. Let me just say to my... Euro-American or white American brothers and sisters, before you jump to conclusions and analysis, just weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. We don't understand what it's like for many people in our country to, to go through the sort of bias, the sort of prejudice that they live under. So before you come up with answers, just weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. The, the Lord has been good to you. He's been patient with you. His kindness has brought you to repentance. He's patient. He considers you. We need to consider others and listen and understand. With the mercy that we've received, we should reach out in mercy as well and listen to those who are African American brothers and sisters, mourn with them. Also, to listen to law enforcement and understand what it is for them. Can't imagine they're in a catch 22. So many of them are seeking to do the right thing. And yet they're under this pressure. These difficult jobs. So we can, we can be merciful. We can work for justice. We can understand. We can support others. That those sort of things are the ability to do that is created from the character that comes to us from the Gospel of Peace. The Gospel of Peace is very practical in these ways and in many other ways. It shapes who we are. It shapes how we relate. It shapes what we do. We can live for peace. We can live for justice. We can support our police department while also seeking appropriately, according to our roles and so forth, how to find better solutions for accidental and race-biased injustices. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we all have to kind of get involved with these things, but we all have opportunities before us to take steps in the gospel of peace with how we relate to others. So maybe this week, you just need to reach out to someone else. Talk to a law enforcement official and tell them you're praying for them. Talk to an African-American brother or sister or neighbor or friend and, and say, my heart is with you. I'm praying. Trusting God with you for change to happen. That you don't have to live afraid of what might happen. We're going to take time at the end actually to pray together. Maybe that's part of the step to take. This is one application really, among many, of how the Gospel of peace makes us able to stand and be different people. To live in what we have. To establish our lives in this good news. But also to have our character shaped and our conduct shaped in such a way that we can stand against evil. Against the schemes of the devil. The Gospel peace makes us ready to stand and it makes us ready to advance as well. It not only rescues us and establishes our identity and ethics, how we live, but it propels us forward with a message, a message of good news, to advance with this message. Good footwear makes you able to stand firm, but also to march forward in advance. And in our passage in Isaiah, it's clear that this herald is, is bringing the good news. He's bringing the good news to God's people. The good news of, of Christ, His death and resurrection, is for God's people. It's for us. No matter how long you've known the Lord, that good news is for you. But the good news is also for those who are, who are imprisoned and embattled and besieged in sin. And this message is meant to go to them. We are meant to be heralds ourselves. All of us are meant to march forward with this Gospel of peace. To be made ready to go. And to take territory. And advance. It's implied in, in Isaiah 52. It's implied in, in the letter to the Ephesians and in the parallel to, to Ephesians and Colossians. It's explicit. It's clear. In our, our verse we read, it's, uh, Paul asks the Ephesians to pray for all believers and to pray for Him that He might boldly proclaim this good news. To proclaim this Gospel of peace. To tell others. In the parallel verse in Colossians, he makes it clear that it's not just for apostles. It's not just for leaders. It's for all of God's people. We are all heralds. We are all to wear these sandals, these combat boots comprised of readiness from the Gospel of peace. We are to stand. We are to advance as well. Listen to what he says in Colossians 4. And listen to the parallels to Ephesians 6. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Almost exact to what we see in Ephesians 6. And then he says this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. How do we do that? Let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. So Paul expects that they're going to pray for him, but pray for each other. That we all might go forward. That we all might boldly proclaim and tell others this good news. That we might advance and bring the truth. And to bring the message and to bring a lifestyle that adorns that message. That says, you know, this isn't just an idea. It's reality. It's changing my life. Here's my life. Here I am to love you and serve you. To make you known in my proclamation of the truth. 
to make Christ known and, and to make Him known through a life that's changed. A life of love and truth. We are compelled to go forward and He commands us to advance with the Gospel. This is God's plan. This is how it works. This is how enemy territory gets taken, guys. This is how, this is how darkness is overcome. This is how lives are changed. By advancing with the Gospel of peace. By you advancing. Not waiting for an Apostle Paul to do the work. But advancing yourself as soldiers. This is His plan. God isn't relying on giving people dreams you know, miraculously to somehow bring them to church. That happens, but, but He's not relying on dreams to be the thing that shows Christ and preaches the Gospel. He's not relying on miracles or mysterious signs or any of those things. They might have their place, but that's not God's method of proclaiming the Gospel. Even now, as in places where that's happening, the stories I've heard never include a, an explanation of the Gospel, but only a, a call to go visit somebody who's going to tell them about Christ. In the Muslim world right now, a lot of people getting dreams where Jesus is speaking to them, saying, go see this person and hear the Gospel. It's wonderful. God's plan isn't to use the dreams. His plan is, is to use you and me where we are to be the ones that advance. This is, this is the plan. Not relying on media or Christian television, but relying on you and me to be these Gospel-ready heralds. We are clothed in readiness. That's the emphasis here in this verse is readiness. We're ready to stand. We're ready to go. There's a, an eagerness. When you put the Gospel of peace around your life. It, it makes you want to go. When you start to get the truth, you've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell others about Jesus. You've got to tell them about this truth. You, you, you're compelled to want to love them and reach out to them. That's God's plan. Romans 10 makes it really clear. It says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wonderful good news. Everyone. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. By the way, if you have not called on the name of the Lord, you can do it right now. Just simply say, Lord, save me from my sin. Rescue me, Jesus. Just put your faith in what He's done. He's died so that your sins might be forgiven. Rose again for victory over sin and death. To change you and give you power. And it just everyone, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. So do it today. Do it right now. Just call on Him. Rescue me. Wonderful, wonderful truth. But then it says in verse 14, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? There needs to be a believing in who He is. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? So they have to hear to believe, right? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and proclaiming the truth? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So you have to go. You have to be made ready and go. As it is written, here's this verse again, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Did you see that? Did you get it? Did you get the connections there? You have to go. We, and we are sent ones. To be a disciple is to be a sent one. We are made ready by this Gospel of peace. Building our lives around it compels us to go forward. We are the ones with the beautiful feet to go and make the Gospel known. He makes us ready. He calls us. And it's wonderful. I, I know that in your life you're doing this as God's people. I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be involved in doing this in all the different contexts that God gives you. He's, he's going to give you things throughout the day, throughout the week. 
He's going to give you things that are incidental. He's going to give you things that are planned and programmatic. There's all sorts of opportunities. We are to be a people who are ready, who are eager, who are going, who have these shoes that move us all the time. This coming week, we have a wonderful opportunity to advance the Gospel, don't we? We have 140 children coming to be here. Um, we're going to fill this place up actually with children and staff. Um, and it's, it's going to be wonderful. The Lord, we're trusting the Lord to show up each year. We've seen Him do it again and again. A wonderful opportunity that in many ways is a great application and illustration of what I'm talking about. Because we know, right guys, we go, we go to proclaim a truth to what we're doing, but we also go to, to, we go to give our lives to these children, to love them as we love each other, as we love them, to demonstrate what it looks like. What Jesus looks like. Oh, it's intimidating too, isn't it? It's intimidating. I, and I don't like it when people say we have one of the best VBSs around because that, that just makes me think, oh no, Lord. I know myself. <laughs> that scares me a lot. Uh, we need You. And the good that we do through it is just the, is loving the kids and welcoming them here and making Christ known. And reaching out to kids from all sorts of backgrounds. It's a wonderful opportunity. About a third of our kids um, are not church. They don't have a church to go to and don't get to hear the truth of Christ regularly at least. Some of them perhaps never have heard it this year uh, given that we have 30 more kids than last year or so. Uh, we're probably going to have a lot of kids that, that haven't even perhaps ever heard these truths. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to go forward with the good news of Christ. To be ready to go. To allow the Gospel of peace to, to shape our lives. That's who we are. That's how we accomplish victory. This is how we overcome the evil one. This is how we deal with spiritual warfare. We, we have these shoes made of the readiness that comes from the Gospel of peace. It makes us ready to stand. It makes us ready to stand as God's Distinct, different people in the Gospel. Rescued. Made new. Standing out in a society that, that is fracturing and struggling. God's people can stand in the Gospel of peace and, and offer something radically different. Hope and truth and peace and real justice. and Not simplistic answers, but genuine activity to make a difference. To stand. And this... Gospel of peace provides readiness for these shoes to go, to advance, to bring the Gospel. To bring it to others. What I want to do in the remaining time, just actually about five minutes, is to pray together. I want to pray, take time to pray in groups of five or so. And if uh, you're uncomfortable praying, you don't have to pray. You can just sit and listen and, and observe. This is not in any way to put pressure on anybody. I realize some of our guests who are with us may feel very uncomfortable, you know, I, sorry I didn't know this was going to happen and I wouldn't have come if I knew it was going to happen. So I apologize. We really don't want to put pressure on you. But we also want to be who we are, right? We're God's people and we pray and we pray together. And I'd like us just to pray for two things. First, just the first thing I talked about. The first application, standing. I'd like us just to pray for what's going on in our country right now in terms of, of the strife and, and the issues. And I want us just to pray that God's people would come together around the Gospel of peace and stand in a different way. Loving one another. Listening. Locking arms. And bringing answers that might just be simply building relationships with others who are black or white. 
to walk together and to learn and to look for solutions or reaching out to your local law enforcement, just whatever it is, but that God's people here and around our country would stand. And by the way, many, many churches are doing the same thing today. I've been consulting others. And I just, just think, if God were to answer these prayers. So let's pray that.